When Twitter mania took hold of my peer group swiftly and suddenly in the summer of 2009, it all felt oddly familiar to me as I realized I already had experience with the peculiar potential of the format. Though keeping a journal has never been a regular habit of mine, I remembered that back in 2005, I kept an informal log I called my, in quotes, creative snippets and observations journal, aka a series of word documents in which I recorded tiny pieces of visual and verbal ephemera, emotional pleas, and strongly worded messages of rage and pain directed at no one in particular. I didn't necessarily write in it every day, but there was a regularity to it, and my personal musings accumulated as they never had before. Even though as a child I would sometimes go through short spells of diary writing, I always ended up leaving those notebooks out and open in hopes my parents would read them and be worried enough to pull me out of school permanently. Besides, it was just hard for me to understand as a young person why you would write for an audience of no one. After all, if a girl whines in her walk-in closet and no one's there to hear her, did she really whine at all? Something about the creative snippets and observations journal was different. I tended to it carefully for just over a year, and what once might have felt like vanity started to feel more like necessity. Perhaps it had to do with starting college far from home, or with the acute awareness of the folly inherent in human behavior that is a side effect of becoming sexually active. But, regardless, suddenly my mind was full of urgent and essential thoughts with no real place to live. They would pop up as I ran to class in the snow, or when I rolled away from a doughy boy in his unmade bed, I would turn them over and over in my head, glinting and dangerous like the pieces of a broken window. Some of these thoughts felt like real insights, and these both entranced and scared me. But more often than not, it felt like these creative snippets and observations didn't have any higher purpose than to simply make it easier to live in my own mind. I felt a little like Harriet the Spy, or some older, much more dangerous spy recording my internal monologue like a kind of sinful DVD commentary. It seems almost impossible to recognize periods of rapid growth as they are actually happening. So, only in retrospect, I can say this period certainly was one. During that year, I kept the journal I moved away from home, lost my virginity, was sexually rejected again and again, and then sexually accepted by the exact wrong suitors, continued to struggle with mental illness, lost friends to petty fights and dramatic dropouts, and became intimately familiar with the citrusy bite of intentional cruelty that gives that special tang to so many adult interactions. It was a primer, this period, for both the joyful irony of adulthood and also for its inevitable losses. I was always tired, mono, and always hopeful, sex. I once collapsed in a party dress from an enlarged spleen, I had all my wisdom teeth removed just so I could enjoy the pills, and I started to wonder whether my parents were who I thought they had always been. I saw my little sister coming to terms with her homosexuality as I protected her at a college party populated with voracious lesbian rugby players, one of whom later broke into my apartment in a drunken rage looking for her girlfriend. I went to the student health center and wondered why most days my uterus felt like an angry activist's fist. Much of this found its way into the journal. From my first experience with cunnilingus, way too low and tickly, to begging teachers for extensions with sob stories of sick grandmothers, there was a lot going on. Oftentimes I barely had the energy to shuffle to the campus bookstore and buy Swedish fish, but I wrote these sentences, one at a time, and I didn't worry too much what they were for. Only now do I see that they helped me to survive.